from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 5th. Today and next Tuesday, we'll be talking about developments at the COP28 climate conference now taking place in Dubai. COP stands for Conference of the Parties. That's the parties to a 1994 UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. This is the 28th follow-up conference, Conference of the Parties, COP28. It started last week and runs through next Tuesday. We're going to start today's climate story of the week in a different kind of way than usual. The biggest controversy at COP28 so far is something the president of the conference said. He is Sultan Ahmed al-Jaber of the United Arab Emirates, also the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, as well as president of COP28. He said phasing out fossil fuels isn't scientifically necessary and would send humanity back into caves. Interesting given his role, given his role as president of the conference, obviously. He later said he'd been taken out of context and sought to put it differently. So we're going to give you plenty of context, partly because it's so interesting to listen to. Maybe you've heard a brief snippet of his remarks on the news, but we have the luxury of time on this show. So we're going to play for you four minutes of the remarkable exchange that made these headlines. This is from a COP28 session um, with Sultan al-Jaber and the former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, who's attending the conference. Mary Robinson speaks first. I think one urgent message has come through in the entire day of the summit. I've heard it at every session, I think, and that is that we're in an absolute crisis that is hurting women more than anyone, women and children, the elderly, uh, those with disability, et cetera, and, and those most vulnerable. And it's because we have not yet committed to phasing out fossil fuel. That is the one decision that COP28 can take under your presidency. And in many ways, because you're head of the Abu Dhabi um, National Oil Company, you could actually take it with more credibility uh, by saying, I now recognize we have to phase out fossil fuel with just transition for the workers and their communities and just transition into uh, renewable, uh, accessible, affordable, uh, clean energy. Um, it, it's not going to happen overnight, as you say. It will be orderly but urgent. I didn't hear the word urgent enough in your voice when you spoke earlier. That's why I kind of interrupted. I said fast track. I'm not sure what urgent means. A fast track is not good enough. Fast track is, um, you know, it can be more of a managerial term. Uh, urgency is crisis, crisis mode. Yeah, yeah. We can we can always play with words here. Um, you are a good politician, and you know how to use words better than I do. I'm a businessman. I am centered around delivery and actions. But will you will you, will you lead on phasing out, phasing out fossil fuel with just transition, as I've as I've said. You can, the you can you can you can you can take the lead. I'll make sure. I put you as an item on the agenda and I'll adopt it. Someone has to take the lead. You are a developed, uh, you come from a developed country. Developed countries, I'm sure, can take the lead like they always do. And uh, lead by example. You can lead by example. And like I said from the beginning, I accepted to come to this this meeting to have a sober and a mature uh, conversation. Uh, We do not, I'm not in any way signing up to any discussion that is alarmist. I am here factual and I respect the science. And there is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. 1.5 is my North Star. And 
a face down and a face out of fossil fuel, in my view, is inevitable. It is essential, but we need to be real, serious, and pragmatic about it. But the real serious and pragmatic doesn't take into account that we are in. I mean, I, I respect that you've done a lot of hard work preparing for this COP and that you've listened to the science. The science is very acute now. We don't have any time. They say six or seven years. We've got to peak by 2025, Mom, the latest in fossil fuel. You, you, um, new Mom. fossil fuel. And your company is investing in a lot more new fossil fuel. And that's 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 going to hurt women. Uh, Mum. <laughs> you've you've just accused me of something that is not correct. I'm sorry, I don't take it. Now I ask you to prove to I, me. I, I read that how... your company is is investing in a lot more fossil fuel in the future. Yes, ma'am. You're reading. You're reading your own media, which is biased and wrong. I am telling you, I am the man in charge, and it is wrong, ma'am. You need to listen to me, please. I'm, I'm please, very, for I'm very once. pleased to hear it. I'm very pleased to hear it. It is wrong. You guys write a lie, and you believe it. I'm well, sorry, I, I do not I accept it. What I, see, um, I am not accepting this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I respect you. And I do not accept any false accusations. I've been very clear about my position. This is wrong. And you're asking for a phase out of fossil fuel. Please help me. Show me a roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that will allow, that will allow for socio, for sustainable socio-economic development. Unless you want to take the world back into caves. No. Show me. And there you go. Former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, with Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar of the United Arab Emirates, also the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, as well as president of COP28, the climate summit now taking place in Dubai. The exchange was first reported by The Guardian. And with us now live from COP28 is Nina Lakani, senior climate justice reporter for The Guardian U.S. Nina, thanks for some time for us while you're over there in Dubai. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you very much, Brian. Nice to be with you. So what happened there? What's the buzz on that exchange and what Al Jaber was really trying to say now that it's a few days old? Okay, I mean, I think the the reason everybody is so angry and upset about it is, you know, the fact that he clearly says in that there is no science behind the phase out. You know, there, you know, he he's basically trying to sort of, you know, claim that there is no science between we needing to phase out um, fossil fuels in order to keep the hope of one point five alive, and that is just factually incorrect. All of the science tells us, and there is a mountain of it that for for the planet you know for us to sort of have any hope in avoiding absolutely catastrophic climate breakdown we have to curtail global heating to 1.5 and that we don't have to do have much time left to do that and the only way to do that is to stop extracting and producing and burning fossil fuels that's it right so and so the fact that he said that and was caught saying that has obviously caused a huge sort of scandal um, and rightly so. Um, I think things he said either side of that have some merit and we can talk about that, you know, um, but I think um, and in a way, you know, I think for many people who have obviously been following the negotiations and well, the planning and the process that goes to to get into the COP itself, people weren't really very surprised. You know, a lot of his language has been in the sort of in the frame, the framing has been, well, um, you know, he's been he's been he's been trying to, I guess, sort of like mold the language a little bit, muddy the waters, 
and talk about things like abatement, which the US, by the way, is very, um, very, very fond of talking about as well. And just sort of trying to make the move towards this sort of phase down. And maybe we can just keep burning fossil fuels and capture all the emissions. And so really, I think what that conversation did and my colleague Damien Carrington that broke that story, you know, did is that it just put everything out in the open. There is no hiding behind languages, no pretending that you're a man of science, which he has um, and continues to claim to be. That what he was saying was just factually incorrect. And by the way, could he have been more patronising to um, the former Irish Prime Minister? Oh, <laughs> that. So. Oh, that. Exactly. They were talking at a gender meeting, but just to be ironically, a gender, a gender meeting. Yeah, gender, which yeah, was gender and w- climate. Yeah, which was her starting point there, right? Yeah. That climate change has mostly taking women and children as its victims. So for you as a climate justice reporter, is that your understanding or what's your understanding of her argument? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the fact is, you know, what we know is that the climate crisis is a risk multiplier, you know, so, um, you know, so for those, it exposes and exacerbates risks that already are present, you know, so that, you know, and women and children in any type of crisis, in any type of disaster, um, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to housing, when it comes, you know, for all of these different sort of social economic issues and problems that there are, women and children are almost always, if not always, the ones that are most likely to suffer. Your last item was about the war on Gaza. Exactly the same situation, right? And then on top of that, the climate crisis exacerbates and exposes those. Um, so that's what she was talking about, you know, that so a failure to phase out fossil fuels and a failure to curtail global heating um, will have the most impact on the countries and the communities and the parts of, you know, and, and, and women and children and other vulnerable groups at a much higher level and much greater scale than it will for every, you know, will for everybody else. The thing about the climate crisis, Brian, is that we are not all in this together. You know, we didn't all contribute to the climate crisis in the same way, and we're not all being impacted by it in the same way. And I think that's what she was trying to get at at the beginning of the conversation. Um, Al Jabber did say, in addition to saying there's no science out there that says um, a phase out of fossil fuels is necessary to stay within that 1.5 degree Celsius of warming limit, he did also say a phase down and phase out is essential and seemed to indicate at the end of the clip uh, that it's a matter of how. I'm going to read some of those words again. He said, please help me show me the roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that would allow for sustainable socioeconomic development unless you want to take the world back into caves. So that's a pretty... Um, yeah. you know, stark way of <laughs> aggressive way of putting it. Um, but but I'm a little confused about his position. Is he saying the phase out is essential? It's just a matter of how quickly we can do it to, you know, not um, deprive developing countries of energy right away? I do think, okay, I mean, I you know, I'm not going to defend what he said, because that sort of, you know, going back to caves was just, you know, diabolical, you know, the phrasing of that. But that part of what he said about sort of, um, you know, and and earlier he also said about rich countries, developed countries leading by example. Yes. 
if he had been better at words, um, what he would have what he would have talked about then, I think, would have been a just transition, a just and equitable transition away from fossil fuels to a um, a clean energy, um, you know, um, economy. To Future, clean energy which is which was Mary Robinson's own language, right? She started by saying yeah. a just, talking about justice, a just transition. He did, yeah, and some, and he just started mansplaining st- stuff to her, like um, which he had, he definitely has sort of a pattern of doing. I mean, I think just in terms of you know he's not wrong about developed countries, and you know in the context of sort of the negotiations that are going on now, um, the fossil fuel phase out is being discussed in t- you know in this sort of big process known as the global stock take, right? And just very briefly, the global stock take is the assessment of where we are as a world collectively in doing and implementing what we said we would do in the Paris Agreement from 2015, where we are collectively, what we're failing on, what we're doing well on, and looking so each country is sort of contributing to that, and, and, and where we go from here, what happens over the next few years. So the, the fossil fuel phase out is being discussed in that, and I think there's lots of sort of, you know, with a divergence of opinion among many countries, you can't just say it's developed versus developing because lots of developing countries have oil and gas as well. And lots of developing countries are now have all of the industry, all of the industry and the factories that made countries like the UK and the US rich many years ago, right? They now moved to developing countries. And I think what is really key, though, and what is being hashed out and negotiated very, very sort of, I guess, strongly right now is that, yes, no one, there has to be a fossil fuel phase out, right? But it can't be the same timeline for the US as it is for, I don't know, for India or for Colombia or for, for the Philippines. Right. Because that would not be fair and it would not right. be equitable. Which is right? in a certain way what he was saying. I think, I mean, honestly, if I'm being really kind and generous and not being cynical, like my tendency is to be, I think at the beginning and end of that conversation is what he was saying, right? You have many countries that like the UAE and like many, I I was talking to the environment minister of Amman yesterday, for example, Mm -hmm. where the fossil fuels are 80 to 90% of their national budget, right? So you can't talk about phase out without talking about help funding for diversification then you have other countries say for example malaysia where its national oil company contributes 20 percent of its national budget so you can't talk about phase out for malaysia without talking about well where's the help coming for us to actually um, have um, sustainable development so you know just to finish that sort of thought about the global stock take what a lot of what developing countries are absolutely pushing for is a fossil fuel phase out that is fair that it's funded that it's um that it's you know fast and then it's forever the four f's is what everyone's talking about here and that's you know to look out for so so and and that is not what the us is talking about the us is not talking about that at all right because that requires acknowledgement of its historical responsibility of where we're at now and it also requires it to to contribute a fair amount of money to help countries to transition, which it does not want to do. Well, this is a difference, I think, between, let's say, the Biden administration and the Trump administration in this country. But you tell me if you think it's less of a difference than meets the eye. When Trump was president, um, he would say that global warming policy, the Paris Agreement, which he pulled the U.S. out of, 
is a scam because it asks the U.S. to give money to India, for example, mm-hmm. and also let them phase out fossil fuels more slowly than we would be required to phase out fossil fuels, uh, which he argues is, you know, them getting over on the American taxpayer and the American quality of life. The way the developing countries argue it, as you've just been explaining, is that, no, we're um, poor, we're just starting out, we can't develop as quickly uh, away from fossil fuels in order to, you know, take our people out of poverty at the same time. Um, and, and this is a big issue at COP28, as I understand it from your reporting and others. You know, maybe they're finally going to make some progress on getting the developed overwhelmingly uh, high percentage of the climate pollution that's ever been emitted and is still being emitted countries to, you know, to help those developing countries in the way you've been explaining, uh, that maybe they're actually going to get to it this time. Do you think so or do you not think so? I mean, I think there is, you know, there's movement. I mean, the fact that we're talking about a fossil fuel phase out at all, and it's in the draft text that was published this morning, like from the first round of negotiations, is, you know, it's like a Christmas miracle. I mean, like that even three years ago wouldn't have been there. The fact that we have loss and damage funds set up and now that details of that being worked out again, you know, um, the US and the EU and other countries have been stopping that and sort of, you know, blocking that for 25 years or more. The fact that we achieved that last year, that was achieved in Egypt last year and has make, is making progress this year is a huge step, right? Absolutely. I mean, to the start of your question, you asked about the difference between like, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans. Yes. I did a story last year exactly looking at that and I asked a whole bunch of different people, people who have been at these negotiations for 28 years, right? People have been coming and coming again. And what they said, Trump was a wrecking ball, right? I mean, in in every sense of the word, in every area of policy, absolutely. Um, But from a climate negotiations perspective, right, it really, they say they, it really doesn't matter who's in the White House, Mm. you know, and um, I don't You know, I was just talking to like an expert before I came onto the phone, like just, you know, about where we're at now. And every conversation I have with people here from civil society, from developing countries, the US, the UK, the EU are absolutely considered to be bad faith actors, you know. It, you know, the, does it matter who's in the White House when it comes to domestic policy? Absolutely. Would we have got the IRA with um, Trump in the White House? No. And that has an impact then, obviously, globally. That big but when climate it comes, bill. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That, you know, the sort of historic climate bill that Biden signed last, last summer. Um, but does it matter in this international climate diplomacy negotiating space? The overwhelming view is no, not really, right? right? Um, um, and um, as an example, so the loss and damage fund, which was sort of um, agreed upon last year in Egypt and which has been operationalized on day one here, it's such a huge, huge victory for developing countries and frontline communities all over the world. And just as an example, in the year that there's been since um, um, Egypt, there's been all these sort of com- um, negotiations going on. And one of the key sticking points was that where this money, where this fund would be like managed and the US and the EU just pushed and pushed and pushed for it to be in the World Bank. 
and the developing countries were forced to accept that. And the US's view, what they kept saying is, well, for the scale of the money that's going to be needed and the speed of the money that's needed, only the World Bank can do it. And developing countries didn't want that because the US has such a huge influence on, on the World Bank. So anyway, they had to accept it. This fund gets set up on day one. It's sort of they operationalized and countries start making pledges, you know, 100, 100 million from Germany, 100 million from Italy, 100 million from UAE. The US pledges 17.5 million. Mm. That is 0.001%. I might have <laughs> even missed out a naught <laughs> of the of the damage caused by, you know, big $1 billion sort of disasters in the US itself just this year it is such an embarrassingly small amount of money right? and it's because you know and they insisted on it being the world bank and then they just haven't delivered again you know so i think there is so little trust when it comes to the us in these negotiating um rooms um and um yeah i mean obviously trump wouldn't have given anything his government wouldn't have pledged anything i people get that but it really you know they don't they, you know, they they're known for blocking. They're it's, known for. It's known almost for the same thing, but quieter. Yeah. We just have thirty seconds left. The COP twenty eight conference runs through next Tuesday, a week from today. That's a long conference. Oh God! What should be people, yes. people be? <laughs> so I guess you've got your uh, marching orders for the Guardian. But where um, where should people be focusing between now and next Tuesday? I mean, I think this global stock taker I may, may I mentioned is really, really important. And we will try our best to try and explain it as simply as possible. But this is really going to be this is where you'll see the language around fossil fuels. Fossil fuel phase out is the key phrase. Equity and fairness we, um, you know, is really important. Look out for the word abatement. That is what the fossil fuel companies and, and many sort of polluting nations are pushing for. It's an undefined term and it would give a huge amount of wiggle room for false solutions and for, you know, for, for, in, for, for you know, to delay in further. And we just can't afford to delay any further. I mean, we've seen the climate, you know, I was reporting earlier this year, Phoenix had 600 people died in Maricopa County this year from heat. You know, I mean, the, 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 the fires, the floods, the hurricanes, the extreme heat, the drought, it is impacting every corner of the world. And we just can't afford not to, um, to, to have movement on the transition away from fossil fuels. All right. We will follow up on what the word abatement means in that context. And listeners, we will do our climate story of the week on this show next Tuesday, also on COP28. And what does happen between now and then, that will be the last day of the conference for today. We thank Nina Lakani, senior climate justice reporter at The Guardian U.S., for taking time out from her reporting in Dubai to join us. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Great job. You're welcome. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.